It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's another Tuesday, and we have a fantastic show lined up for you. Uh, you know, it is my passion. It is my sort of uh, unique, uh, I don't know, fixation on what are talented people doing and how are we managing our talent better. And I've been able to really uh, curate so many great stories from our fantastic guests over the years. We've put them together, even in, in my uh, first book, The Power of Company Culture, Love to have you check that out. But we continue uh, now after the book to to grab even more stories and have even more compelling people on the show. And you know, I just feel blessed as I meet these uh, really talented individuals at different shows and events, or through LinkedIn, or or uh, through my uh, you know uh, network uh, that I have the opportunity to to really pick their brain and to ask them about what they're thinking about and to to really get a better perspective on. The things that they're thinking about going forward, especially as we enter into another decade. And so today we're going to do a little bit of a, a different uh, path. We're going to kind of deep dive just with one guest today and to really get a really good understanding of what uh, our first guest, our only guest today, Gary Turner, is thinking about. And I'll bring him into the show here in just a moment. But just want to remind everyone and thank everyone for being a part of the show. Uh, we do have a good amount of you listening uh, live, but really the most most uh, of our audience comes in later on through our podcasts, whether it's on iTunes or iHeartRadio or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate you uh, subscribing and rating us um, and doing everything you can to help us spread the word in these great conversations that we're having. And of course, we love to kind of give you the best little tidbits, put the links, The maybe if a book was mentioned or anything important, we like to live tweet this as we're going along here today. So go to Twitter, at, open up at PeopleG2, uh, or even follow the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. And my social media maven, Sarah, will be uh, live tweeting all the best stuff. So if you're in the car or not in a place where you can jot down a name of a book or, or some important line, it's probably there waiting for you. So, all right, let's go ahead and bring in my guest today, Gary Turner. He's an interpersonal catalyst keynote speaker and podcast host. So we have two out of three in common. I don't know what an interpersonal catalyst is yet, but we're going to find out. So, hey, uh, Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for the invite, Chris. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What's important for us to know about you and your work for our conversation here today? This is my big drive right now is how do we help people be more intentional 
around designing work around people and instead of instead of in spite of people, which has been the paradigm that is that has uh, prevailed for too long, in my opinion. And uh, we maybe lost a little bit of the beginning of that. So if we hear any Internet sort of wobbliness, maybe cut your video there on our we're through Skype today is as we're in two different locations. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll proceed here. So. Why don't you tell what I want to kind of expand on that a little bit, right? How do we, I guess, <laughs> design systems for people that, you know, will will help bring out the best of them and then are not really designed in spite of them, right, or to go around them? What, what does that look like? Yeah, so, so what I've got, interestingly, Chris, is um, within my sort of day job. So I work within um, an international $3 billion turnover sales and marketing business. And to bring this to life for you a little bit, we actually ran an experiment back at the end of 2015 for three years under the radar. <laughs> um, so the senior exco, the senior leadership of the organization were not aware as to what we were doing. And now by the end of 2018, we'd increase sales by 6 million and gross margin by one and a half million for the part of the business that I work within. And why I share that story, Chris, is that I think the move towards more intentional human-centered design comes from us being more courageous being more vulnerable and really sort of leaning into our humanity in a way that we probably haven't done for over 100 years. And that's really counterintuitive to everything that we've been talking about probably the last 10 years, right? Which is how do you automate more? How do you bring in more, uh, I guess, even AI or different systems and things that can get rid of the inconsistencies that we perceive with the the human experience? So so what, is, what does that look like? Uh, how do you be how do you be more human and 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 still be able to be more effective and productive and all of that uh, to make that kind of incredible increase happen? Yes, it's it's a really good question, actually, Chris. So, so I would say the the first thing is actually, you know, of course, a business needs to make money. Yeah. So this is not a fluffy conversation you and I are right. having today. Given, um, you know, the, 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 yeah, there's, yeah, there's absolutely a need to hit the numbers. We need to make money. We need to serve our communities. We need to serve each other. You know, that that remains the same. But I think the important point here in our conversation today, it's how we do it rather than what we're doing. And what, what I'm speaking about there is by designing an, an organization around our people, what that looks like is, and this is really counterintuitive, it's slowing down. It's actually getting off the hamster wheel of reactivity and firefighting and more of the same, which we're so used to over the last generation. And it's really actually being courageous to say we're going to come together as humans on a human level more often to talk about what's working what's not working, how can we improve collectively? And we'll go in a conversation, I'll, I'll follow your lead today, Chris, but really that's, that's the nugget that I've learned the last three years in particular, is actually giving ourselves permission to stop opens up a whole world of opportunity that we've been capping for many, many years. You know, I've shared on the show before, so hopefully the audience doesn't mind me sharing this again. And I'm wondering if this is the maybe an example of something you're trying to describe here. I mean, for my team, we began a few years ago uh, on our larger meetings, not on our smaller ones, but our larger meetings, just sort of going around the room and and in a few words or a few sentences describing how we're showing up to that meeting that 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 day. And then when we leave, we sort of do the same thing. Like, how are we leaving the meeting? And I found that to be incredibly powerful to really understand what is that person, what is their state of mind, where are they at in their lives um, emotionally, uh, with their sleep. I mean, you have had everything from someone coming and saying, you know, my newborn hasn't slept in three days. I'm really not with it right now, you, you know, to I'm super excited. I can't wait to do this project. You know, I have a, you, know you can just see the energy, right? So sort of, I guess, just checking in with them and, and getting an idea of where we are as human beings before we start jumping down the agenda. Is, is that a good example or am I, is it the light version? 
version of what you're talking about? Yeah, no, I would say it's absolutely a great example, Chris. But I would also say, yes, it is a light version. So what mm-hmm. you're speaking to there is a practice, which is really helpful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's a really powerful one that you're implementing there. And I think it's about how do you develop a suite of practices that actually becomes regular iterative change. Mm-hmm. So those practices that you've introduced, they are markers that allow people to be seen and to be heard which in many systems doesn't tend to happen. So it is a great example, but I would say it's one example of many that needs to be implemented to move towards a more intentional culture. Sure. So I've given the example of uh, kicking a ball, and you're and you're sort of obviously suggesting we need to have an entire game and, and rules and a, and, a, and a sport around you know a much larger uh, perspective than just one act. So and that makes a lot of sense. You know, often what we need to really kick some of this off is the right role models inside of organizations. Um, it sounded like you guys kind of did that internally, um, with as you mentioned, without certain people even knowing what was going on. But I guess, do we have enough positive role models inside of organizations today to really be doing some of this work? Again, a wonderful question for me. So I would say, do we have enough? I would say no. But I think part of the challenge we have here is that the the market dynamic within which you operate with your business, with which I, I operate every day, we're still within this hyper-competitive masculine approach to business. Now, I'm not trying to stay away from being too gendered, but the point is the, the model that we work within is still very, you know, winner takes all. It's com- competition till the death. And I think what we're moving to, what, well, what, I, what I know we're moving towards is something that's more collaborative in nature at a societal level, but also within businesses. So what that looks like for me, Chris, is competition still good when it's healthy competition, when it helps the next drug innovation or it helps solve climate change to stretch one another because it's good for the, you know, the greater good is fantastic. But when we're looking at a zero-sum game, um, which is the traditional model, that's when we start to get into trouble. Yeah, and 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 to your point, I mean that sort of very gender. I mean, I look at that kind of thing that you're talking about. It's often not even what is traditionally masculine, but what is traditionally perceived as or the societal norm of masculine, right? The sort of extreme of it, and you sort of get into this really easy. And, and it's not just the gender part of it. And I just mentioned sports. I mean, sports, you bring that in whole analogy, that whole concept into there. And for a lot of people, that isn't the way we want to collaborate. We want to work together. And 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 we look at even models like Lean and Scrum and Agile. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of intentionally created to, to sort of get that better result that is not so competitive, to your point. Does it start to then redefine the term of leadership, uh, you know, especially for for us as, as leaders on a personal level, as, as we look to the next decade, the next 10 years that are coming? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And what that looks like for me, and if I look across my network, and I'm sure you see this in yours, it's it's really, um, what I'd say, it's, re- it's almost like a blended approach. Let's talk about sort of learning development for a second. Like we've traditionally been stuck in our heads, very logical, very linear, very, you know, we, we know where we're going, we can project 5, 10, 15 years. And I think what we're moving towards and what I'm seeing and experiencing in my own growth journey is the move from just head towards a blend of head and heart. And it's that heart part, which is the unknown quantity and the thing that scares a lot of leaders today. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I discovered uh, years ago, and I was really shocked to learn this, and I spent a little bit of time kind of really researching it and um, understanding some of the scientific works around this, but that it is this concept that has been proven by neuroscience that we make all of our decisions emotionally, 100% based on emotion. Now, we then immediately justify with logic 
and and come up with all of the logical reasons why our emotional decision is correct. And often, once I've gotten my leaders uh, that and people that I've coached and worked with to understand that at the very base we are making emotional decisions as as the base as the first thing, it allows them to sort of slow down and realize that they need to think about their emotions. They need to be more in touch with that in order to make a better decision that they're not really thinking logically, that that's not, we are not robots, right? We're not uh, data from Star Trek. We are not, you know, synthetic life forms that are walking around making these perfect uh, decisions based on some, you know, fantastic algorithm. Uh, Is is that that connect with what you're saying or do you disagree here? It it connects foundationally, um, Chris, absolutely, because fundamentally what we forget about and i forget forgot about this until uh, a year ago when i when i ran an online summit you know human beings create technology and that will continue to be the, cl- the the case i'm very sure for many many decades to come so you know the very fact that we forget you know we get so overrun with process and technology and the pace of change we forget that we actually control the technology we implement it we iterate it we develop it and I think we almost give away to our power too easily. And that's part of this head to heart journey is actually by actually totally what you said, our emotions do drive our human experience. And it's actually, again, slowing down to us to have a conversation and check in, as you wonderfully explained earlier on. Let's check in with those emotions. Why am I? Why is Gary feeling this way? Why is Chris feeling that way? And then together we can move forward rather than just reacting to whatever the the dysfunctional follow-up tends to be if we don't actually talk about our emotions and they then become a behavior and then a bad process and then a bad technology for three, four, six months down the road. Yeah, I mean, how many bad meetings have we been in that there was obviously something going on with somebody, right? No one to bring it up and you're trying to you know, shove your way through the agenda and just to get off the call because clearly someone was, wasn't there uh, in the right way, right? Or And so how many of these other kind of human interactions are we are we avoiding not, uh, I guess, not dealing with uh, when if we could just, to your point, slow down and figure out what's going on with everybody and 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 have that process or that system, that head to heart you mentioned, it, it really can change things in a, in a really important way. You know, I know you have a podcast, Value Through Vulnerability. Are these some of the things that you talk about? Or maybe we could kind of talk about what are some of the things you talk about and how did you get kind of started in, into that? No, sure. So, so, so the, the podcast came about. Um, I started back in uh, May 2018 because I couldn't actually find the content um, that I wanted to find. So, for example, the conversation around vulnerability, self-awareness, courage, mindset. So there's some podcasts out there that do a little bit of those things. But what I found traditionally, you know, whether you go to a conference, whether you listen to, to media or a podcast, we're never getting below the surface, Chris. And I think this is fundamentally part of the systemic challenge that we're dealing with, is that we are scared to go to that level of, you know, not knowing or working with ambiguity or not having assurance that the next step will be the right step. So the podcast I, I set up basically because I couldn't find the content that I wanted to consume around really connecting on a more deeply human level. And so what are maybe some of the most common themes that people might, I guess, expect? I mean, you're having a conversation around some of those topics, or is this more, I guess, is it more theoretical? Is it more practical? You know, I think certainly here on my show, when we're trying to throw out as much practical things as we can give, as a lot of our audience sits in HR and, and needs and are sort of dying for t- tactics and, and specific things. Uh, is that where you lean? Are you leaning more towards the, the larger 30,000-foot version of this? Yeah, it's a mixture of both, to be honest. So what we tend to start with whenever we have a guest, we, we of course, like to understand their background, what got them to where they're going. 
And then we, we really get into then the nub of, you know, an experience. So it's a lot about experiential learning. So what's a real life experience of the guest of when they've had to step into their vulnerability? And quite often a theme that comes up, it can be as simple as I don't know. And having the vulnerability to say that and voice that with your team, like as a senior leader or as a team member and just saying, look, I really don't know what to do next. Can you help me? That those very simple words can be terrifying and paralyzing for many people. So there are some very practical elements. We talk about experiences of vulnerability, awareness, courage, these sorts of things. But we also do have um, sort of wrap ups at the end where I'll actually collect a number of the key themes that I've taken away. So there's actually some actionable insight at the end of the podcast as well. Where people go, OK, I can go and practice this experience with a, with my spouse or a colleague at work, et cetera. So it's a real blend of experiential learning and takeaways. And I've seen that uh, people that tend to be pretty good at that, uh, they fall into one of a few categories or a mixture. I mean, they certainly if you were raised that way, if you come up in that environment, you might have a pretty good uh, basis to start. If your organization practices any sort of regular, the scrum version of that is a retrospective, right? If you have a regular cadence to come back and say, what what worked? What didn't work? What could we have done better? What didn't we know? What could we have, you know, found out in advance that would have helped us gone faster or done better or not have failed or whatever their outcome was, you know, but and third is probably those who of us who have made the most mistakes and screwed up the most, but were able to realize that our our failures were often our best lessons and taking that time to go back and figure out why we failed and talk to our mentors and people we trust to get that information you know is is, is for anyone who doesn't have that sort of natural upbringing or doesn't have that mechanism in place is, is that sort of the next thing for them to really think about those you know big uh, failures as a way to begin that process of, of connecting into that vulnerability? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And you know, if I share just briefly some of my background story, so it's a part of the story. I, the reason that's called value through vulnerability is that I myself was someone that was bullied as a child, psychologically and physically, sort of age 12, 13. And that's something I kept inside my head for over two decades because I didn't have the emotional maturity back in the 80s and the 90s to know how to process that emotion. So that's part of the fuel for the podcast is that I didn't know how to understand and process and deal with emotion. Hence, I've brought, brought the podcast to life as a virtual safe space so that people can listen and go, OK, that's how that, that person had that problem or they had that life challenge. And they then stepped into their courage or vulnerability and the result of it was X. So really, that's how that's really the sort of nub of the podcast is to create that safe space that allows those people that may be like I was in the past, quite emotionally suppressed and just gives them you know an outlet a, a sort of virtual outlet to be able to at least start to build that courage muscle maybe f you could give us an example is there somewhere where you have feel like you failed in the workplace and and really were able to pull a, a learning experience out of that yeah quite often chris <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest with you but i'll, I'll give you um, a personal one from back at 2000 it's a little bit further ago but i was actually let go i worked at um, a testing an it testing company um, back at the Millennium Bug, you know, all of that big stuff was going on. And I was let go because I just wasn't good enough. I wasn't hitting the numbers. I wasn't performing. Um, but one of the biggest lessons for me that came out of that experience was how to let someone go with grace, how to still help somebody else move on, even if they're not a right fit with your organization, even if they're not performing. There is a humane way to let someone go versus an inhumane way. And that was a huge learning for me personally. 
Yeah, and and that can really be often, you know, so sort of the things where, where we go through a difficult situation, you can see that the, I guess the the tenets of great leadership or or someone who really handles a difficult situation correctly, and it, it sounded like uh, that was sort of an example for you. You know, there's so there's so many times when we can learn from those things, and 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 I guess those that sort of excel uh, can, and and sometimes those that aren't quite ready uh, uh, don't. You know, I. I I recently had someone say to me, you know, you're a business person, you're used to getting your way and you're used to, you know, things going the way you want them to go uh, and everything always working out. And I, I, I started laughing um, and, and they got kind of upset with me. They thought that, uh, you know, I was laughing at what they're saying. You don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten where I've gotten because I literally have screwed it up and broken 99 times out of a hundred, but I just didn't stop when I had, when I hit that problem. So, you know, it, it, it I guess it's sort of a different frame of mind versus what people think. Absolutely. And, and the thing is we don't, and I think there's the, there's beauty in what you just described as well, Chris, is that it is that storytelling. It's those sharing those experiences that build the connection that allows us to develop more human centered cultures. That is the missing glue quite often is the role modeling of storytelling by senior leaders that then gives permission to other people to, to do, then do the same. Right. Well, we're going to take uh, one little quick commercial break here. Give us a chance to grab a glass of water, whatever you need to do. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break with Gary Turner. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Gary Turner, the interpersonal catalyst, keynote speaker and podcast host. Uh, we're having a having a fun time here talking about everything uh, inside of organizations around vulnerability and how we communicate. And, uh, and I guess this is all sort of a part of a, a larger part, which is culture. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, to check out uh, TalentTalkRadio.com. And don't forget, we are live tweeting right now if you want to join us there on Twitter. All right, so Gary, um, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about is culture. It's probably the the talk that I give as a keynote speaker the most often, and that's and I really talk about where to focus, right? Where is this? Where do we really spend our time and energy? There's so much out there about culture. There's so many books and opinions, and so I try to help people give at least a, a slimmer version of where they should at least be thinking about it today. Where do you think culture is going, and where? What's sort of the best-in-class culture right now in 2020 and beyond, in your opinion? Yeah, so, so some, some of the organizations, and it sort of links back to your question about role modeling, actually, Chris. So like, there aren't enough real-life role models that we hear about. But some of the <clears throat> great examples are like WD-40 um, out of San Diego with Gary Ridge, the uh, CEO, 
So I've had the pleasure of um, spending time with Gary a couple of times over the last few years. And they are a great example where they have 92% plus engagement. You know, they're growing year on year, double digit. And they do this because they they operate as a tribe. So like their culture is so clearly defined. They're so values based. And it's just so clear for everybody that enters and exits that organization that, it, that there's almost no room for ambiguity. And I think that's when a culture is very well designed is where you know, there's no chance of someone misunderstanding what they're about. Yeah. And there's so many organizations that we kind of, I guess, naturally think about, and they aren't always really the best example for the average company uh, when trying to figure out what they want to do with their culture. Uh, WD-40 is a really interesting one um, because they're not one that you probably would think about. They're not, uh, you know, sort of in, in, in magazines and showing up at keynotes and having this sort of sexy, you know, uh, culture label put on them. We are not thinking about WD-40 and with people riding around on, you know, playing ping pong and riding around on scooters or something. Right. So but yeah. they've taken a real approach to culture with with real people and, and, and selling a pretty mundane, non-sexy product, <laughs> albeit <laughs> extremely important for anyone who has a door that won't open or a squeaky um, anything, right? I mean, they certainly have a, a very practical purpose, but to take that and be able to have people get it, to be aligned, to be energized, and it's a chemical in a bottle, right? It's nothing special. Uh, it's it's not an internet browser. It's not the brand new technology. It's not the newest, coolest thing. So, you know, is that... For me, that's a lesson, right? That you have to get it right no matter what. But what else can we learn from someone like WD-40? What we can also learn, and I think your point's important, that it isn't just about the sexy product and the the high-tech IT industry. What we can also learn is the ability and the power in self-leadership. And what I mean by that is that every every person in an organization, this is where culture is so important for me, everybody's voice matters. Everybody's view matters. And when culture's working well, and it's what we've been trying to work on at my organization, when it works well, everybody is seen and everybody has a voice. So like inclusion becomes a, you know, it becomes, it doesn't become an issue anymore, Chris, because the culture is so well baked in that people are seen and heard. And that then fulfills and feeds innovation on a regular basis and links a little bit to your agile comment. And I just think it's as simple as that. You know, when we've got engagement stuck, as you know better than me, and like 33 now, 67 cents in the dollar is thrown straight down the drain based on Gallup stats for over a decade. You know, there's so so many quick wins. But again, we need to slow down to realize them. Are, are there maybe uh, specific things that you uh, suggest that organizations think about to make sure that people feel heard? I, I mean, for me, it, it's always a very small, practical type things that we try to employ. But I, I'm curious to what types of things that you suggest that organizations do. Yeah, so I'll give you some real-life examples. So literally two weeks ago within my work organization, so you've, you mentioned Agile. So hackathons are a really great, fun way of yeah. bringing people together on a cross-functional basis. So what I've actually developed is a sort of a, a, a mini model, as it were, which I call um, collaborative regeneration. And why I call it that, Chris, is it's a really simple three-sprint three sprint hackathon. But the important part is at the end, the fourth, the fourth step of this process, and we do all of this within three hours, so sprint one, what's not working well? Sprint two, what's working well? Sprint three, what would we change if we could? And sprint four is the key part, which is what are we going to, what do we commit to do? A small marginal change, every single one of us, when we leave this three-hour session. And then that feeds into the next session that might come together for 30 minutes, it might come together for three hours. But it's a really light touch 
but highly effective way of bringing cross-functional teams together to get their information because they have, you know, the people doing the job have got the data you need to grow and to correct and course correct and et cetera. So it, that's one real life example that anybody could do today is literally grab your team together, run a three, that, that three sprint hackathon I just spoke about. You can do it in 30 minutes, 10 minutes, three hours, but you'll be amazed how engaged people get in that. And the ideas and innovation that come out is incredible. And, and then if we look at maybe, if we kind of go the opposite direction, right? So we, we do some of those things for innovation to bring out ideas, to make sure people feel heard. But, you know, I, I've seen plenty of examples where there are people that is not how they are going to interact. That's not how they're going to deliver how they're feeling or they feel connected because maybe they aren't just an innovative, right? They just don't have those ideas. They don't have the context or the understanding of even the products or services enough. I mean, they might be doing a particular job where, they're not able to do that. So are there other in other ways that we need to think about also hearing our employees or making sure that we understand how they're feeling so that we can, can I guess, interact with some of that to ensure that we're doing our best job to, to help our people feel connected? I would say, if I may just challenge a little bit, I would say that everybody, Please. regardless of the role that they do, is innovative. Everyone mm -hmm. is innately creative. It's just some people take longer to realize that that, that creativity. So I would say you know, it's very, very important that we create that space for everybody to be able to show up. And some people will take short time, some will take a long time. Right. However, to answer your question in addition, I actually think this is where technology can add a huge value. So there's a lot of tools out there now that sort of measure sentiment analysis. You know, people like Next Jump with, you know, you've got people, you've got people like, um, sorry, the name escapes me. Basically, you've got a number of different software companies now that have actually got really nice analytics for like Pulse. Um, emotional connection. So at the end of like a meeting or at the end of one day or at the end of one week, you say how you're feeling and just write a little comment. And I think that's a really nice way to sort of help introverts and extroverts be able to get how they're feeling in the moment more regularly into the system. Well, that's almost like when you're at a hospital or uh, airport bathroom, right? And you walk out and there's that little white kiosk and you can click, you know, like happy face, sad face, you know, how was your experience today? Right. And you're sort of getting, and they're getting an immediate pulse on what, what that experience was for that person. You know, one thing that I've noticed that has worked well for organizations is just, so I, I've often suggested to people to throw away the annual survey, right. Just to, to get rid of it. I think it's too hard. I think it's too much. It takes too long for management or executives to to implement something that, you know, from what they're hearing, if they assume they even hear it correctly. And, and and so if you have a smaller organization, you can do this with everyone. If you have a large organization, you might break this up into smaller teams or departments. But we just ask one question a week and try to get them to answer one question a week that helps us gauge where they're at or what they're working on or where they're feeling stressed or what's working well or whatever the question is. And then we can very quickly understand that, make adjustments and come back to them by the next week, you know, in less than a week's time with this is what we heard and this is what we're going to do about it. It sort of gives our organization a kind of an always evolving force going forward and gives everyone the opportunity to, to participate and share with what they're thinking uh, going forward. Do we need those types of things in a grander scale and with more technology or, or is this sort of company by company what feels best to help them make sure they're hearing their employees? Yeah, I think what you just described is a really great intervention, Chris, actually. And, and again, it's it's context-specific, you know, different cultures, different organisations, different sizes. But I think that it's back to that word intentional that you spoke about earlier and I've spoken about on this, uh, this con conversation today. You know, how intentional are we? How much does it matter to us as organisations that our people 
are able to feed into the system. And I think that's something that we really need to look at as senior leaders of organisations. You know, because if we don't want to hear people's voice, that's fine, but we should be honest about that. But I'm pretty sure, again, based on engagement stats, based on the opportunity that sits in front of us, that there is so much more innovation sitting in outside our people. And I think if every team did what you just spoke about quite regularly, like I agree with you, we don't need the employee and save, we don't need performance reviews, all of those box ticky exercises, they could all go if we communicate in a way that you just described more regularly. Yeah. And it's such a help to the managers because no manager likes to sit and have to fill out performance reviews for an entire, you know, 20 people reporting to you or whatever it is. I mean, it's just, it's, I just find it's a huge, you know, resource to in the organization and you sort of wonder, well, why did we get nothing done this month? Oh, well, we spent the entire time filling out these, you know, checking these boxes and filling out these forms and creating these reports that tell us what we already knew, which was things are going good or things are not going as well as we want or, or whatever. So and that kind of ties back into my next question, which is, you know, what's your thoughts on HR as it fits today? And, and and what do you think it needs to do, you know, going forward? So I'm a big fan of the the opportunity, whether you call it HR, people function, you know, <laughs> CHRO, however you want to brand it today. But I think, you know, if we think about the opportunity that exists, it's the only function that has an all-seeing eye on an organizational setting. You know, the CEO is even a bit far removed. You know, the people on the shop floor are far removed. HR has got this beautiful, holistic view on an organization, unlike any other part of the business. So I'm really excited from that point of view, because I think people are consciously waking up to that opportunity. However, I think we do need to move away from the policies, the procedures, all of this box ticking, as hard as it might be for people to hear. You know, I genuinely don't believe that any policy, unless it's to deal with genuine compliance around legality, we don't need the paperwork. We just don't. And so I would, I would invite any HR people listening to you and I today, be really critical. You know, does that paperwork add value or is it just getting in the way and adding frustration? Right. Or just, you know, justifying someone's job. I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we just don't need. There's so many better ways for us to do that. So, you know, we only have a, a little bit more time here. I want to make sure we ask you a few more important questions. You know, what, what are maybe one or two trends that you expect to see sort of emerging over the next few years? Yeah. So I, I, I won't keep going on about the, the, the people centered bit, but that, that's a huge one. So that's a huge, we're definitely going towards uh, more intentional human centered design. But I think the other thing as well, we're, we're going to be looking at communication structures that are going to evolve more, Chris, for me. And what I mean by that is, you know, globalization will continue. Technology continues to, to continue a pace. And I just think there's a really exciting opportunity as tech advances for people to actually have more time off work. And it's going to sound funny. You know, we talk about the 20-hour week, the 25-hour week. I think one of the big advances for me is going to be universal basic income. So if we take a bit of a a 30,000-foot view, you know, for people to have the choice to work or not, I think that's coming in the next decade. Yeah, and, you know, we certainly, there are different parts of the world where I think some of this is going to happen faster than others. I mean, here in the States, I mean, we had some real obstacles with our infrastructure on how we handle medical benefits and things. We really have pushed this into the business world, and then that has sort of then been pushed to, well, if you're full-time, you get these things, and if you're not full-time, you don't. And so, uh, we have some real logistical problems even here to how do you allow people to work less hours or inside of a gig economy or to work maybe two jobs of 20 hours each if that's what they want to do because that's, you know, it kind of fits their world, right? Not to just do one job the entire time. But there's a lot that has to be figured out on how we handle that. 
And I don't know that the last time government moved quickly. So it's going to be something that takes a long time for us to figure out and to really do. But um, yeah, I mean, certainly the future is, is going to really change uh, change work. And, and, and we may over here in the States have to be get forced by our hand to do some of that quicker if we're seeing other countries doing it better. You know, uh, the other thing I, I'd love to ask our guests is, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you tend to suggest that people check out? Well, it's funny, but there's two I would say very quickly. So one is actually um, by a chap, Mike Vacanti, um, who is the founder of the Humans First movement called Believership. That's a beautiful on-point message for our time. So that would be one. And I think the other one that is, is sort of HR related, but not, um, Chris, but I found personally huge for my personal growth is Nilla for Merchants, book called Oliness. Um, uh, so they're two books I would strongly recommend for anyone that's interested, A, in development, but also culture. Well, and this is why we love to ask this question. We get such, you know, huge varieties in what people are reading and suggesting. And we know our audience loves to check those out. And I'm always adding those to my list. So most importantly, how can people find out more about you or get a hold of you or what's your website or where can they go to, to, to learn more about all the cool things that you've been talking about today? I appreciate that, Chris. So I would say that the two main ways for me are on um, Twitter. So you can find my handle there, which is Gary, G-A-R-R-Y-I-P, Catalyst, one word. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. My work organization is IMCD if you want to find me that way. But my LinkedIn title, again, is Gary, Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn. They'll be the two best ways, Chris. And don't forget, it's Gary with two R's there. So, Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, absolutely had a fun time uh, and fantastic uh, learning what you're doing and thinking about, and I can't wait to go back and reflect on it. And, of course, we would love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the other things that you're doing. Thanks so much for the invite, Chris. Really enjoyed today. Thanks a lot. All right, our next live show will be on February 4th, and our guests will include Steve McKee, co-founder of McKee Wallwork and Company, and then the author, Power Branding and Win Growth Stalls. And then we'll bring in Brian Breath, Senior Director of Talent Acquisition at FAIR.com. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.